John chapter 3. We've been doing um, a series of sermons entitled The Work of the Spirit in the Life of Jesus Christ. And again, one of the central themes of this uh, series is this. If Jesus Christ needed the power of the Holy Spirit in his life, so do we. And so working off that premise, we've looked at different aspects or different parts of Jesus' life, and we saw how the Holy Spirit worked in his life to accomplish the will and the purposes of God. And so today, we'll endeavor to do the same as we continue on with that. About four or five years ago, um, Chris Anade um, went on a walk that absolutely changed his life. That walk led him to what Chris describes as back row America. Some of you have read his book, Dignity, that's based on his journey. Backmore, America, Chris describes, is a place where people live that have little to no education, little to no job opportunity. They live in abject poverty, and their communities are plagued with drugs and prostitution and violence. Chris himself is from what he describes as front row America. Those that are born into privilege. These people, uh, some of these people, um, are incredibly well-educated. They have good jobs. And they live in communities with nice homes and safe neighborhoods. Anarde said that when he went into back row America, he found something incredibly interesting. He said that even though these folks are in a hopeless state, that um, there is this reality that they believe in God. Even though they have no money, even though they don't uh, enjoy any of the fruits of the kingdom, there's this robust faith that he finds in there. Let me give you one story in particular. He's talking to a lady, and he says, how would you like to describe me? And this lady says, for who I am, a prostitute, a mother of six, and a child of God. Anarde said that this is in complete uh, contradiction to what he finds in front row America, where even though they have all the fruits of the kingdom, they are, by and large, incredibly godless. In fact, they reject the king. And as I read his book, and as I began to study for this series of message, I realized that those realities are found even in Scripture. In fact, they are found all around us. The majority of Flintstone, at least in our area, would be described as back row America. In this passage that's before us in John 3, we have someone coming to Jesus who's a part of front row America, Nicodemus. And if you read a little bit further on in John chapter 4, you have someone from what we describe as back row America, the woman of Samaria. 
And in both of those interactions that Jesus has with them, the message is still the same. New birth. And as we as God's people look to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if we're going to be effective in that, then our message needs to be the same. New birth. And so what I'd like to do is to look at John chapter 3 and see how you and I as God's people, how can we make disciples of people who either don't think they need God at all, or people whose lives are complicated and difficult to make it seem like God is not existent there, but yet they have a kernel of faith. That's what we have before us. And so in order for us to look to do that, let's take a look at John chapter 3, verse 1 through 21, as we see Jesus attempting to make a disciple out of a first row or front row individual. Hear now the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, 
lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen, and his works have been carried out in God. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. There's two things that I want to show us today as we look at how do we make disciples of the world that we find ourselves in. First, I want to look at the importance of the message, and then I want to look at the importance of the messenger. First of all, the importance of the message. Our passage here in John 3 begins with a Pharisee named Nicodemus coming to Jesus. And there are two things I want to point out from the very beginning. I want to show you when he came and what he says, because both are significant if we're going to move forward. First of all, notice when he came. The Bible says in verse number one, uh, sorry, verse number two, that Nicodemus came by night. Now, many people theorize, why did Nicodemus come by night? Is it because he was ducking the crowds or because of social pressure? Maybe his position as a Pharisee? Well, I think, number one, it is literal. I think he came at night. But number two, and most significant, is that in the book of John, light and darkness are used to describe one's spiritual state. And so John is using darkness here as a metaphor that Nicodemus came to him because he was spiritually blind. In other words, Nicodemus came to Jesus in a spiritually blind state. And if we read the text like this, then what he tells Jesus, to me, is filled with irony. Because if you look at verse number two, he comes to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, we know who you are. In other words, we Pharisees. We know who you are. You're a teacher. Come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so what's Nicodemus saying to him? He says, uh, Jesus, I know you're a good teacher. Because only good teachers can do and say the kinds of things that you say and you do. And Jesus doesn't necessarily correct him or engage him on the merits of what he's saying. I, one of the things I, I love about Jesus, and you can see this over and over in the gospel, is that whenever someone comes to Jesus, Jesus immediately addresses the nature of their hearts. And notice what he says in verse number three. Jesus, knowing that he is spiritually blind, says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he gets to the heart of the matter. He says, Nicodemus, your problem isn't that you recognize me as a good teacher and that's wrong. But your problem is that you need to be born again. Now, the subject of born again has come on hard times in our society. When I was growing up, to be born again meant that you said a prayer or you made a decision. And then after you said a prayer and said a, made a decision, you spend the rest of your life staying away from bad things like drugs and sex before marriage. Or, and you had to wear certain things and not do certain things. That's what born again meant when I was growing up, at least. 
which wasn't that far back, by the way. I just want to point that out. That's, and by the way, that's still how it is today. If you go into many pulpits and you hear someone talk about being born again, they boil it down to just saying a few words and giving your heart to the Lord. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about a life-altering, life-changing dynamic in the life of an individual. And this is what he's telling Nicodemus. Now, of course, when Nicodemus hears this, He's totally confused. Notice what Nicodemus says to him. He says, I don't understand. How can, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He completely misunderstands what Jesus is saying. Why did he completely misunderstand that? Because he has an earthly mind. He doesn't understand that Jesus is talking about something inherently spiritual. And moreover, imagine Nicodemus listening to Jesus tell him he must be born again. It's absolutely shocking because to Nicodemus, he has the perfect life. Read the text. He's a Pharisee. He's the most, one of the most revered people in Jewish society known for strict adherence to the law. Not only that, but he was the ruler of the Jews. People came to him in order for them to get into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He was a part of the ruling class. Later on, we see that he is a teacher of Israel, meaning he was a prominent teacher. Nicodemus probably memorized all of the Old Testament and could recall it from memory and can systematize it at a drop of a hat. And Jesus is telling him that he, him, Needs a different life. But I think even more significant to this is the reality that Nicodemus was a Jew. From a moment a Jew was born into the world, they were told that they were a child of Abraham. That they could punch their ticket to the kingdom of God simply based on their birth. Because they were born into God's favored people. And now Jesus is looking at him and saying, you must be born again. Of course he was confused. Of course he didn't understand Jesus. Because as far as Nicodemus was concerned, I'm already born in a privileged state. I already have the good life. I'm already on my way to the kingdom of God. And you're telling me I'm not? And Jesus says, yes. That's exactly what I'm telling you. And Jesus even goes on to explain exactly what he means in verse number 6. Where he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. Sorry, go, to, go up to verse number 5. Jesus tells him exactly what he means. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what does Jesus mean, water and spirit? Is he talking about baptism? Is he talking about uh, the birth process? No, no. See, Jesus is reminding him of Ezekiel 36, 35 through uh, 25 through 27. And in, in that passage, uh, God is talking about, through Ezekiel, God is talking about the nature of the new birth. 
He's saying that I will cleanse you and put my spirit in you. Listen to what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. Listen to what it says. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see what Jesus was telling Nicodemus? He said, Nicodemus, first of all, you have to be made clean. Because right now you are not clean. You have to be washed You have to have your sins forgiven. You have to have your guilt and your shame and your conscience taken away. Nicodemus doesn't understand this because he is spiritually blind. And can I say that most Christians don't understand this as well? I taught Greek for about three years to um, a group of 10, 11th, and 12 graders. And um, it was one of the most fascinating times I've ever had. These were incredibly bright individuals, and they knew the Word of God. And we would go in, and we'd dig into the Word of God. And every so often, um, I would have a time where we discuss Greek words. And one of the Greek words that we discuss is the Greek word elasmos, meaning um, expiation, to be made clean. And invariably, as I began to have this discussion, and I explained to the children that one of the aspects of the gospel, one of the aspects of being a Christian is that Christ cleanses us from our guilt and our shame. That Christ cleanses us from our sins. And invariably, I would have either a young lady or a young man begin to cry. And I often thought, that was odd. Until one day, I asked a young lady, I said, hey, I noticed you were crying. Why why were you crying in class? She said, Pastor Dennis, nobody ever told me I could be clean again. You know, she had had been in, um, she had been promiscuous. Um, I found out later that she had had abuse in her past. And even though she became a Christian and she said a prayer and she gave her life to Christ, nobody had ever explained to her that Christ came to make her clean again. That to be born again meant that there's a washing of the water by the word. And that we don't have to struggle with the guilt and shame of our past and our, on, on our conscience. The exact opposite. You can be made clean. And this is the message of being born again. That there's a washing and a cleansing. And we don't have to carry these burdens. But not only that, he says water and the spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit needed? Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be transformed. Nothing else will do. Interestingly enough, in his book, Anarde, who is, who confessed that he was an atheist, now he says that he's an agnostic, he said that when he went into these back row communities, the, very, the one thing that he saw worked wasn't money. It wasn't a program. 
It wasn't more resources. He said the one thing he saw worked over and over again was when somebody met Christ. In fact, he said that's what has led him to not be an atheist anymore because he saw the power of God in the lives of people, regardless of where they were, regardless if they were a prostitute, regardless if they were on drugs. It didn't matter where he met them. He said the one thing consistently he saw that took people out of this dark uh, despair was the gospel. Here it was, an atheist is saying this, and most Christians don't believe it. We don't believe that the gospel is the power of God under salvation to all who believe. We don't actually believe that the gospel can do what it says it can do, which is cleanse people and give them the power to transform their life. Because if we actually believe that, we would be sharing it way more than we do. Listen, I'm not trying to guilt you into sharing the gospel. I'm just trying to give you the facts of the Bible. That when we apply the gospel to the lives of people, whether they're front row and think they don't need it, or back row who's committing sins that that they think God can never forgive them, the point of the narrative is that this is what Jesus thinks can save a sinner. And he does it consistently. Every time Jesus meets someone, what does he do? He gives them the gospel. It doesn't matter if it's uh, the man with the withered hand or the rich young ruler or the woman of Samaria. Over and over again, Jesus goes to their greatest need. And the greatest need that they have is the gospel. It's to be made clean. It's to be transformed. Nicodemus was someone that needed that. But he didn't recognize it. And Jesus, by the way, says, Nicodemus, even though you're a religious man, I know you don't have the Holy Spirit working in you. Notice what he says in verse number eight. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What is he telling Nicodemus? He says, Nicodemus, listen, this wind, and they were probably outside because Jesus didn't have a home. They were outside probably sitting down at a tree and they're talking. And I could just see a gust of wind blow. And Jesus looking at Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, we don't know, you don't know where this wind uh, came from or goes, but you can see its effect. You can see it rustling through the trees. It's the same way when someone is born of the Spirit. You don't know when it happened. You don't know how it happened. But you can see the effects. You know. All of us can see when somebody's life has been completely transformed by the gospel. And I don't see it in you. We can tell. Last year, I went to Durango, Mexico on a missions trip. And for those that of you that don't know, Durango, Mexico has the distinction of being, um, what is it, the scorpion capital of the world. And I was nervous, right? Because here I was going to a country where I didn't speak the language, and on top of that, I could possibly get bitten by a scorpion and die. And so as we went, um, it was a group of us, we had a translator. And man, I wanted to stick close to this translator just in case anything happened. And we only had one. 
Thankfully, later on in the week, they brought uh, a few others, but we just had this one translator, and man, I was sticking close to her. But we went out to eat um, one of the first nights we got there, and we sat, uh, they sat us around the table, and they sat me the furthest possible from the translator. Not only that, the translator, she was very free, so she would always get up and go walking outside to talk to someone she didn't meet. And she sat me next to um, this individual. His name was Manuel, and Manuel didn't speak English. And I was sitting there twiddling my thumbs, wondering, what am I going to do? I said, wait a minute. I could download Google Translator. And so that's what I did. I downloaded Google Translator. And, and he and I began to have this conversation. I would type it in English, and it would translate it into Spanish, and I would give it to him, and he would look at it, and he would laugh. And, man, we had this wonderful conversation. We started talking about our children and our wives and how our dogs poop in our house. I mean, you just, you name it, right? We started talking about, about all, all this stuff, and it was amazing. And for, for about an hour, that's all we did. We were like school children, you know, like I'd type and he'd get and he'd laugh and all this. And I couldn't believe the fun that we were having. Hear me today. The, the Google Translator made it possible for us to talk. But it was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled us to talk as long-lost brothers. And through my conversations with him, I saw him. I saw the impact of the Holy Spirit on his life as he told me story after story of what God was doing in his life. And I told him story after story of what God is doing in my life. That's the power of the Holy Spirit and that's the power of the message of the gospel, that it could bind us together. I don't know about you, but I watched the presidential debate this past Tuesday. And I saw two men on the stage that are alike in many ways. Roughly, they were the same age, same gender, same ethnicity, same educational background, same money, have access to the same kind of power. But they couldn't be more different. And you know, I see that over and over in our society. People that are on odds with each other, racially, from a belief system, you name it. There's so much division in our world today. And you ask the question, what is the remedy for that? Is it more money? Is it more programs? The answer to that question is no, it has to be the power of the Holy Spirit. It has to be the message of the gospel. Because the same way me and Manuel, even though we came from different backgrounds, grew up in different country and spoke a different language, we were uh, bounded by the same Holy Spirit. We had one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one Father of all. That is the essential unity that bound us together. And brothers and sisters, that's the same essential unity that will bind our country back together. And you have that message. It's a message of unity and power and of cleansing. That's why Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. Because it's the only power in this world that can truly bind us together as a people. But notice with me the message 
is meaningless, ultimately, if we don't know the messenger. Look with me in verse number 9. Nicodemus, after hearing the message, after hearing what Christ is saying, that you must be born again, and that you can be clean, and you can have the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, and that this is evident to all who've been born of the Spirit. Notice what he says to Jesus in verse number 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? In other words, he looks at Jesus and says, yeah, I hear the message, but so what? How can this happen? How is this possible? He's still unbelieving. He's still skeptical. And this is why the messenger is important, because it brings the message um, into focus more. It validates the message. And so he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, I don't know how these things can be. Everything you're saying maybe sounds good, but this is meaningless to me. So what does Jesus do? Jesus reminds him of who the messenger is. Notice with me in verse number 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. Now remember, notice with me in verse number verse number 2. Nicodemus came to him and says, we know who you are, Jesus. Jesus says, no, you don't have a clue. And then notice what he says to him in verse number 11. He says, we speak and we know. Who is he? Who's the we? The we is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you don't know who I am. I'm not just some good teacher. I'm not someone who just says a bunch of things that are relevant. I'm not just some faith healer. I am the Messiah. And the message that I am giving you comes straight from heaven, straight from the kingdom of God, the very kingdom you want to go to. I am he. And then drop down to verse uh, verse number 14, just in case Nicodemus is still missing it, he gives the paradigmatic example of redemption found in the Old Testament. This teacher of the Old Testament, if he knows nothing, he certainly knows the story of Moses lifting up the serpent into the wilderness. And that story happened in Numbers chapter 21. And as he gives him this illustration, Nicodemus knows that the bronze serpent that was uh, hoisted high in the wilderness gave new life to the people who looked upon it. As these people were dying from their, rebellious, their rebellion and their sin, God in his mercy provide a means of salvation for them. All they had to do was look up and see the bronze serpent and be saved. And Jesus is saying, in the same way, the Son of Man, the one who is looking at you right now, he will be lifted up. He will be lifted up so that you might be saved. And all you need to do is believe. Believe on him. And then in verse number 16, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, probably one of the first verses you ever, ever learned. In context, verse number 16 and 17 is supporting this wonderful illustration that he gave. 
He's exegeting Numbers 21. By the way, this is why the gospel is rooted in the Old Testament. Because Jesus is using Old Testament scripture. There was no such thing as a New Testament. He's using Old Testament language to tell him about the new covenant. And what did he exegete? He said that that picture, that metaphor, here is what it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He's looking at Nicodemus and saying, that's the message. That's what it means to be born again. And by the way, I am the messenger. I am the one that makes this message possible. That if you want to be justified before God, it's going to come by an act of God's free grace. It is God who will pardon your sin and accept you as righteous because of me, Jesus Christ. And it is my righteousness that will be imputed to you. And the only way you can receive it is on faith alone. That's the message we need to carry to the world. It, it was very effective towards Nicodemus because later on we see Nicodemus taking the body of Christ and evidencing faith. It was very effective to the woman at the well because she went and said, come see a man that showed me everything that, um, that, that I need to know or we need to know for that matter. The message is effective. And Jesus is telling him, look, look it's me. It's me. Now, the question I want to leave to you today is, do you think this message is effective? Is it effective for you? Have you been cleansed? Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit that's necessary for transformation? And if you have, do you believe it's effective for others? And if it is effective for others... Are we as God's people bold enough to believe it and share it? Listen, I'm not talking about notching belts here. I'm not talking about just sharing the gospel so we can get, say that we do it. No. But what I am talking about is believing that this message, this message fulfills our greatest need and therefore it fulfills the greatest need of everyone else. You must be born again. You must come to the Savior. He is our only hope in this life and for the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Father, as Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, spoke to Nicodemus with boldness and power, and gave him the transformative message of the gospel. May we as your people do the same. Father, help us. Lord, I don't mean to guilt our people into just sharing their faith. It's bigger than that. It's understanding that we have a transformative message. Help us to believe that and trust in that. And when we have opportunity, share it with boldness and power. That's the only hope that we have of unity and peace in our country. 
Lord, give us the power to be able to do it now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.